This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village Hotel Development moves forward. Prop 122 marks a milestone in psychedelic history. A day in the life of a miner with Fintan Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. A new hotel development in Mountain Village is one step closer to breaking ground. This week, Mountain Village's Design Review Board discussed an amendment to a planned use development and the design for a hotel in the Village Pond Plaza. The lot sits on just under one acre of land, next to the Sharana and Westmeyer buildings on Mountain Village Boulevard. The proposed project plans for 50 hotel rooms, 20 condos, and 31 lodge units. The development also plans for 18 dorm-style employee housing units with two employee apartments. There will also be retail, fine dining, a bar, a market, and a conference center wedding space. According to developers, Six Senses, a luxury hotel brand, has provided a letter of intent to operate the hotel. They were the top or are the top uh, international large hotel chain in the world. Um, They have very unique properties. Um, And they really nestle into the community, kind of different than some of the larger chain hotels. That's Matthew Shear, lead developer on the project, speaking before Mountain Village Town Council earlier this year. Adam Rafe, lead architect for the project, adds they want the building to fit in with the community landscape. He says they've drawn on a number of local buildings as inspiration. We have the Pandora Mill. Um, Some of that materiality we found uh, inspirational, like the... So some of this um, patinaed metal, that's rusted steel, um, and these uh, ribbon glazing, the new Sheridan. Uh, that building is something on the base, in this case glass, with a kind of repetitive rhythmic architecture above. We wanted to do something similar to that. The Sea Forever Village, again, it's a building with a strong stone buttressed base with a perforated architecture above. Rafe notes while the building is large, seven stories high, the aim is to keep the perceived mass smaller for those walking and spending time in the area. For example, when they put their back up against the Sharana in the back of our plaza and they look up, um, looking west, uh, what they see is the terrace of the fifth floor. And because of their perspective, as far as back as they can go, you can't actually see any of the floors above. So from plaza looking in this direction, the building appears to be a five-story building. And that's a strategy that we used to um, not just arbitrarily lower the heights to what was required, but to really um, take this thing into consideration and say, what does it actually feel like when you're standing in these spaces? What is the pedestrian perspective? Designers add they have plans for lighting that complies with dark sky while also providing atmosphere for the plazas. There will also be solar panels incorporated into the building. In addition to the building itself, the development includes a number of outdoor walking spaces and plazas with landscaping congruent with the local environment and ecosystem. Over the past several months that the DRB has been looking at the designs for the hotel, it has shifted. It's gotten smaller, more in line with other buildings in the area, changes to lighting. It's a fact that DRB board member Shane Jordan appreciates. I've seen this now three times, I think, um, three or four meetings that we've been through, and I feel like every iteration to me is better. It just continues to... I think the design team is listening, um, 
which isn't always the case, but I um, commend them for that. I'm trying to come up with something I'm against, but um, for the sake of time, I'm... I fully support where this is headed, so I'll leave it at that. Jordan's comments were shared by most members of the board, and after two and a half hours of presentation and discussion, the Design Review Board approved the final architectural design for the hotel development. Five voted in support, with two voting against. Mountain Village Town Council still needs to approve the design as well. It plans to discuss the design at its January 19th, 2023 meeting. This November, Colorado voters passed Proposition 122. The ballot measure makes the state one of the first in the nation to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms and legalize their medicinal use at licensed healing centers. If Colorado is embracing mushrooms, Telluride has done so for decades, hosting an active foray in culture as well as a storied mushroom festival. California-based herbalist and writer Christopher Hobbs has presented many times at the festival and spoke with Cotto about the history of psychedelic mushrooms in the U.S. Hobbs says he began to study mushrooms in the 1970s. Herbal medicine has been my life and, and uh, my community, my family. I went to the, my first mushroom conference in 1977. That I think it was the first or second of Paul Stamets. Um, orchestrated and it was on Orcas Island and so that got me really interested in mushrooms and I just started studying more how mushrooms are used in different cultures for medicine and and hardly anything in those days was known about it. You never read about it anywhere. One of the major hallucinogenic compounds found in mushrooms is called psilocybin. Evidence of humans using psilocybin has a long history but so-called magic mushrooms only entered mainstream American culture in the 1950s. Here's Hobbes. Psilocybin has been used for what we think now maybe over 2,000 years in, in human cultures. In the 1950s and 1960s, there were so many clinical trials. I, most people don't know this, but there were actually literally hundreds of small clinical trials and, and, and other um, studies on the effects of psychedelics, including LSD and psilocybin, uh, for, addic- for, prevent- for uh, helping with addiction, uh, mood disorders, depression. Psychedelic mushrooms were soon picked up by American youth culture, appearing on college campuses in favored by hippies, anti-war protesters, and other countercultural movements. In the decades of political tumult surrounding the Vietnam War, the American government began to crack down on recreational drug use, including psychedelic mushrooms. Hobbes explained that the war on drugs put an end to the scientific research into psychedelics. Uh, but then in about the middle of 1970s, then the government started going, you know, saying, we're going to shut this down. This is, this is changing people's consciousnesses. So they basically shut it down in the 1970s. That was the last uh, license you could get for doing clinical trials. It didn't start up again until 2006, when, the, when finally it started opening up again and the first more modern clinical trial was performed. Only recently has interest in the therapeutic and medicinal use of psychedelics been revived. In multiple studies published in recent years, psilocybin has been shown to effectively treat severe cases of depression. Research institutes are now popping up across the U.S. Berkeley has a new center. UC Berkeley has just founded a new center. John Hopkins is probably the best-known center in the country. Uh, there are centers in Switzerland, uh, Germany, uh, other countries, certainly. Uh, but John Hopkins is like the leader, but Berkeley now has this giant funding to start a, 
uh, a psychedelic uh, center for, for research. So that, that started recently. What exactly the future of medicinal mushroom use will look like in Colorado remains unclear. But the state follows closely on the heels of Oregon, which legalized their regulated use in 2020. Hobbs says that Oregon's rules and regulations are just now coming into view and could serve as a blueprint for Colorado. Oregon, after the first of the year, they've already published their draft guidelines for education centers for, to train facilitators, obviously therapeutic centers d- doing psycho, uh, hallucinogenic psychotherapy, growers, producers, product makers, all of their regulation, draft regulations for all of that. Just as Telluride has become a gathering place for mushrooms enthusiasts of all sorts, Colorado will now look to become a leader in legalizing the regulated use of psychedelic fungi. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. With fall sports wrapped up and winter sports still in practice, this week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole shares the latest on professional sports. This is Finton Cole on your pro sports update. The Denver Nuggets won their road game against the Los Angeles Clippers 114-104 and won their home and road games against the Houston Rockets 129-113 and 120 to 100. They have a road game against the Atlanta Hawks. The Denver Broncos won their road game against the Jacksonville Jaguars 21 to 17 and lost against the Tennessee Titans 17 to 10. They had a home game against the Las Vegas Raiders and lost in overtime 22 to 16 and also lost against the Panthers 23 to 10. They have a road game against the Baltimore Ravens next week. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not faring very well as they lost to the Baltimore Ravens 27-22. However, they got a surprise upset over the Los Angeles Rams 16-13 and then won in Munich, Germany to the Seattle Seahawks 21-16. They had a road game against the Browns and lost in overtime 23-17. They host the Saints next week and visit the 49ers the following week. The Quebec Nordiques Colorado Avalanche won their home game against the Dallas Stars 4-1, but lost their road game against the Jets 5-0. They have road games against the Buffalo Sabres, the Boston Bruins, and the Philadelphia Flyers during the weekend. The Chicago Blackhawks lost their home game against the Winnipeg Jets 7-2 and went 6-11 overall. Then they had a home game against the Oilers and they lost 5-4 going 6-12. Chicago has road games against the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils, and a home game against the Jets again. The Calgary Flames lost their road game against the Carolina Hurricanes 3-2 and won their home game against the Florida Panthers 6-2. They have home games against the Montreal Canadiens, Washington Capitals, Arizona Coyotes, and Minnesota Wild before they go on the road to face the Columbus Blue Jackets and Toronto Maple Leafs. It's still early in the NHL season to determine the playoffs, and we won't know until April. That's it for your sports updates for this week. I'm Fintan Cole, reporting live from Terride High School, and we'll see you next week.
This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman takes a turn towards the natural. Have a listen. Good evening, listeners. Welcome to Eyes and Ears, a Kodo segment where I, Bella Eatman, describe paintings I find in the local area. And if we're lucky, I could interview a few of our local artists. Today we will talk about an art piece known as An Open Air Living Room by Molly Perrault. About a month ago, I walked around town and entered one of the many galleries on Main Street when I spotted this one particular piece that intrigued me. This picture was on a circular canvas. It was a classic landscape picture of an open meadow. A meadow. Really brings out the open air aspects, don't it? The landscape has it all. Emerald green blades sliced through by a cold clean river waters from left to right. Pine trees alongside each other joined as the greatest of friends yet still serving as an outer wall for that very meadow. And don't even forget about the far-off mountains, ranging in gorgeous colors of gray, purple, and perhaps even blue. But even further beyond all that is the rolling white to cobalt blue clouds, floating as clouds do on classic blue skies. And you know what's the real kicker about it? It's made of small, colored magazine clips, not paint. The way it was formed made a fractal-like look. It would really make make you think of how one can make great creations from average shapes. Thinking back on it now, I kind of want to take a walk in that meadow. Perhaps to clear my head, feel the soft or sharp blades of grass, listen to the river even. As much as I'd love to discuss and the open air living room some more, I do believe that speaking of it would lead to a terrible case of ranting. But before I go, I do want to express how the picture made me feel, as feeling is the purpose of art. I think of the piece and think of tranquility, a peaceful state of mind that a lot of us would like to achieve. I think of what I'd feel if I was actually in that meadow, what I'd smell, see, hear, and touch. But we'll have to wait a bit before we go hiking to any flowery meadows. I do hope that you all are staying warm and safe this winter. Please wear long sleeves and thick layers. This is Eyes to Ears on Kodo. I am Bella Edman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. It's that time of year, and you've probably been writing your letter to Santa, finishing up your Christmas wishes, and perfecting your prose so you can stay on his nice list. But this Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Telluride Elementary School gym, you can talk to the man himself. That's right, Papa Noel will be greeting families and filling the school with holiday cheer. There will be food, games, a piñata, and much more. All are welcome to come and celebrate. It's a bilingual event. Feliz Navidad and Merry Christmas.
As winter closes in, life in the high peaks gets harder for our region's wildlife. Many species retreat from their summer pastures to lower altitude areas where they can spend the winter months. Still, surviving the winter can be difficult, and disturbances caused by human activity severely stresses wildlife populations. As such, Colorado Parks and Wildlife closes some of its recreation areas for the season in order to protect overwintering species. In Ure and Montrose counties, those include the Billy Creek Wildlife Area just north of Ridgeway and the Cimarron State Wildlife Area, both of which will be closed to human visitors between January 1st and April 30th. The BLM also closes land for the winter, including the Ridgeway Trails Recreation Area, the Gunnison Gorge, and the Dominguez-Escalante National Conservation Area. All closed areas are posted at trailheads. If you're headed out for a hike, it's a good idea to check CPW and BLM's websites for a full list of closures. Kaiser Permanente and other healthcare providers are expanding abortion services in Colorado. As KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports, it's a response to an influx of patients at abortion clinics. Kaiser Permanente used to refer patients to other providers for abortions. Now Kaiser is expanding its own services because Colorado abortion clinics are overcrowded. Adrian Mancinaris is the head of Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. She says patients are seeking care from neighboring states that implemented restrictive abortion laws after the U.S. Supreme Court repealed Roe v. Wade. When you have a state like Texas that has millions of people, that's a tremendous amount of Patients who are having to migrate temporarily for health care. In Colorado, the wait time for an abortion at Planned Parenthood has increased from 13 to 22 days since Texas partially banned abortions last year. Along with Kaiser, UC Health is also offering expanded reproductive health care. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. The mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs struck at the very heart of the LGBTQ community. The shooting happened on the eve of Transgender Day of Remembrance in one of the few safe spaces for the LGBTQ community in Colorado Springs. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Sean Kenny from KGNU spoke with Dr. Glenda Russell, a psychologist from Boulder, on how the community can process grief while taking care of each other. Every event occurs in some kind of a context. And the present context has been full of a lot of challenges for an awful lot of people. Uh, broadly speaking, it's been a difficult time in terms of things like economics, our changing understandings of racial injustice and what to do about that, the pandemic and its accompanying uncertainty, and, and for many, physical isolation, and, and even fundamental questions about where's democracy going and are, are we going to you know, sustain it. Uh, by most indicators, there's a fair amount of depression and anxiety going in the going on in the United States. So we're already kind of in not not ideal circumstances. More specifically, where it comes to LGBTQ people, the entire community has been the target of anti-queer and especially anti-trans rhetoric and policies for well for forever, but especially but especially so in the last few years. We see it in public discourse about our lives. Uh, we see it in local, um, state, and institutional policies and judicial decisions that are meant to constrain our lives. And beneath all of that rhetoric and all of those policies runs a clear message. We are not okay, and we are not safe. 
both those broader stresses and the anti-queer and anti-trans messages may leave us in an already disempowered position, um, and potentially all the more so if we are, are at the same time members of other marginalized groups. So we need to be especially diligent about using our community, using our history, tapping into the movement perspective, calling upon allies, and taking good care of ourselves and one another. We'll get through this. We'll keep making positive change, but we need to allow ourselves to have our feelings and to move through them. We also need to hold on to one another. And this is, and, and, and I think it's really important to remember this is not primarily a mental health problem. This is a community problem. It's a problem where our queer community and our queer culture will be every bit as helpful as any kind of mental health intervention. Um, we want to do those things that are good for us at all times, you know, sleep, get exercise, um, don't take too many substances, stuff like that. But we really want to embrace community and embrace one another and take care of one another and ask our allies to, to step up right now. Another thing that comes to mind is as we find ourselves coming out of the wake of, of COVID, of particular stressors around being able to make those connections and find that community. Uh, we've had a few years now to wade through that difficulty. I wonder if there are any other things that are standing out to you in terms of resources, support, uh, things that you found in your own work as you think a lot about this, that you know what, it, even in how we take care of ourselves or one another, a lot's changed in the past few years about that. Yeah, a lot has changed. And I think one of the things that's changed is we have so much more queer culture than than we've had before. And this is a great time to use that queer culture, whether it's more contemporaneous stuff or or earlier stuff. Um, I found myself pulling out some music this morning from a long time ago from Holly Near. Is there are go-to things that we all have that are useful for us in difficult times. And I really recommend people think about what those things are and use them, share them with other people. Um, I think it's also really important to look at what has happened. You know, Pulse happened in 2016. Um, it's been a long time. Look at all the changes that have happened since then. The current anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, it's partly a political game. We know that. It's also partly a backlash because we had made so many so much progress. And and if we forget that progress, we do it at our own peril. We really need to be thinking about how much has changed over the course of our lives and how much has changed over the course of the time since since the pulse and understand that the movement, the large movement continues to go forward despite tragedies, despite backlash, despite, you know, creepy rhetoric and creepy policies. We are not we're not going back. We are moving forward and we will continue to do that. Dr. Glenda Russell, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Um bring me back when there's something good to celebrate. <laughs> we'll do that too. Yeah, because it's so important to celebrate the good stuff. It really is. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clouds tonight with low around 20 degrees and isolated snow showers late. Saturday calls for cloudy skies, a chance of scattered snow showers and a high near 40 degrees, while Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 25. Sunday calls for partial sun with a high near 40 degrees and a chance of afternoon snow. Sunday night should be cloudy with a low around 30 and a 60% chance of snow. 
This has been the news for Friday, December 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.